Let's thank the 1111 band, our choir, everybody. When I graduated from high school, I was about the same height I am now, roughly six feet, and I weighed 135 pounds. Yeah, that's not very big. So uh, I had to dance around in the shower just to get wet. I was very, very skinny. And so I went to college. There was a friend of mine who played on, uh, I played basketball against him on my opposing school, our rival school. And this guy was really into lifting weights. He said, why don't you come and join me in the weight room there at our school, at our college. I said, I'll go there, I'll go there. So I showed up, all 135 pounds of me. And uh, I mean, this guy was a strong man, he was jacked. And so he showed me what to do. And, and he told me, you know, what I needed to know about working out and why it was important. First of all, he said this, no pain, no gain, right? No weights, no dates. <laughs> no curls, no girls. And so, so I started feebly learning how to work out. I mean, literally, this is embarrassing, this is true. I could not, <laughs> I could not bench press a hundred pounds. It was brutal. What people were warming up with, I couldn't even lift once. But I remember in the weight room, you, you, you learn and see all kinds of folks uh, in gyms and workout rooms, as we all know. Hopefully you're not one of those folks. But this one guy, I remember, was uh, lining up to uh, do some squats, right? And that's where you, you, know, you work out your legs, you put the bar over your traps and you bend down, boom. And um, he, he just, you know, he, had the, he started off with a warm up with about a 45 pound plate on each side, warmed up. Then he added another 45, another 45, I think that's 225 total. And then he added another one. He had three 45 pound plates on each side and helped me, I can't lift that much. That's what, 315 guys, right? Or, I love it, yes, 315. <laughs> so that dude, probably a freshman like me, gets down and I just see him, and I just, I just see him buckling and boom. I watched that weight just crush this guy. And everybody ran there and tried to help him. They got the weight off him. And luckily, luckily, the guy was okay. He was okay. But, but, I, but I thought about that, how, you know, a lot of times, not, not just when you're working out, but in life, we tend to have these plates, if you would, these weights. They either we add on ourselves because we've got to be busy, or we have these weights of problems and situations that keep adding up. And it's not just one 45 pound problem, it's another 45 pound problem. Pretty soon you look like you're about to face a 315 pound situation that can crush you. And what's dangerous about that is not so much of the weight of what you have to go through, though that can be problematic as I observed in the weight room, the problem is the fear that that can instill in us. Not just fear in the here and now, but fear about what may happen in the future as you attempt to carry all this weight. Talked about that last week. I said many times in our life, we allow fear to dominate our lives. Fear of rejection, 
fear of not having enough, fear of getting sick, and fear of not having what it takes. Fear is an interesting phenomenon. It's more than emotion. And once it gets inside of our minds and hearts, it may start off as a small fear, but it continues to spread and grow. So what do you do about fear? What is the goat? Not Tom Brady. What is the goat? Romans 8 have to say to us more about this fear. And how do we get to a place where fear is not writing the script of our life? Fear is not dictating the decisions we make day in and day out for God in our lives. How do we get there? Look at Romans 8, verse 17, following. Romans 8, 17. Remember, the guy named Paul is writing this letter. He says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So last week we talked about the importance of understanding the father heart of God. And when you say yes to Christ, when you walk down the aisle or when you get baptized, you say yes to Christ, you enter into God's family, you are a son and a daughter of God. And therefore, you're connected with Christ. That means he died in your place, he rose again in your place, he's gonna forgive you, he took your rap for you, he gives you his perfect record of righteousness, you're a son and a daughter of the living God, he accepts you, he loves you, he comes to dwell inside of your life, that's fantastic. At the same time, just as we identify him and what he's done for us, we also will identify him in sufferings. Sufferings and glory always go together. Look at verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth being compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Present suffering. It's tough. It's rugged. It can be brutal. But compared to the glory compared to what God has in store for us, it's not worth comparing. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's not very complicating or confusing, so let me try, attempt to explain some of that. Basically, and I've said this many, many times from this pulpit, I will say this until I die, to understand the world that we live in and to understand the Christian worldview, the grand narrative, we have to understand that things are not the way they're supposed to be. God made everything that we can see. He made this world, he made this galaxy, he made the universe, he made the metaverse, he made everything that we can see. But this world is not the way it intended to be because of the fall, because we rebelled against God. It had both personal, human, and cosmic, and natural implications. So we live in a broken, fallen world with broken, fallen people who do broken, fallen things. 
Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much suffering? Why do so many bad things happen? It's because of this brokenness, this fallenness that we live in. Nature itself, that's why we have natural disasters. Nature itself is not in harmony the way God intended it to be. We are not the way God intended us to be. So when you take the broken and fallenness and the wickedness and you multiply that times around, what, eight billion? And that snowballs over thousands and thousands of years? That's why things are not the way they're supposed to be. So creation, the natural world, what this passage is saying, is looking forward to the day where there will be a recreation of this universe, of the natural world. They're looking forward to when those who are the children of God will fully experience their new life and the new heavens and the new earth, this new reality, this restored reality that God has in store for us. So now, at this moment in time, we live in what many theologians call the already, but not yet zone. I added zone, already and not yet zone. In other words, God has already done a lot. God has already given us his word. God has already sent his son to die and rose again. God has already sent his spirit to live inside of us when we say yes to him. He's already done that. But he's not yet fully restored and fully redeemed us as individuals, as humanity. He has not yet fully redeemed and restored the natural world that we live in, but he will. So we live in the already not yet. We live in this time of present suffering. Is there beauty in our life and in this world? Absolutely. Is there goodness in our life in this world? Absolutely. Is there purpose and meaning in our life in this world? For sure. At the same time, things are not the way they're supposed to be. We will have problems, Christ promised us. We will have suffering, he promised us. We will have tribulation. So if you're going through something right now that's incredibly difficult, that's incredibly arduous, that may seem really dark and you're trying to find your way, you are not living an abnormal life. You're living what Watchman Nee called the normal Christian life, living in the already not yet zone. In this passage, he says, our present sufferings in the now still can't be compared to the glory, the magnificence, the beauty of the future. When Christ comes again, the new heavens and new earth, we can't compare the two. In another passage, he says, the light and momentary sufferings we experience now can't even be compared. It, the, the glory and the awesomeness and the love and the peace and joy of God in the new heavens and new earth far outweigh our momentary sufferings. For some reason, this passage reminds me of the great Ronnie Coleman. Ronnie Coleman won Mr. Olympia eight years in a row. And as he did that, he was also a police officer in the Arlington area. I don't think he ever retired, even when he was raking in millions. 
And Ronnie Coleman was not only incredible, you know, bodybuilder and stuff, he was a phenomenal power lifter as well. And one time Ronnie Coleman squatted, I think, the same thing that guy was doing in the weight room, something like 825 pounds. That's almost a thousand pounds, it's almost a ton. And here's, here's the picture of Ronnie right here, check it out. That's him. So if, if you're wondering, if you're really bored in the middle of this message and you're counting those plates, I'll help you out. There, <laughs> there are nine plates on each side. Those plates weigh 45 pounds a piece. The bar is about 45 pounds or 40 pounds. So that's about 825 something pounds. Somebody can do the math later. But here's why this passage reminds me of Ronnie Coleman, okay? When Ronnie would get under that weight right there and after he would finish lifting it or bench pressing it, he had the signature phrase of saying, lightweight. I love it. Lightweight he would get there and just lift this Herculean amount of weight. It was lightweight to Ronnie Coleman. It would crush 99.9% .9 of all other human beings on planet Earth. How was it lightweight to Ronnie? How was that lightweight? Do you think he just walked into the weight room like that guy did in my freshman year and go, hey, I'm gonna put on nine plates and, and... no. He had to show up every day, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And through days and months and years, and who knows what, work his way to a point where he could lift that amount of weight. And in his mind, it was lightweight, lightweight. The sufferings, the tribulation, the pain that we go through, when we give it to God, not the responsibility, but we give it to God, it can become in our life light, weight. When we know what God has in the future for us, not just tomorrow, but in the ultimate future, and we know that he has given us his spirit now. He's given us his community, the body of Christ, to help carry our burdens with one another. It can be light weight. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only, that, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship and redemption of our bodies. So creation is on his tiptoes looking to the future of the new heavens and the new earth when nature will be restored. Creation is looking and watching us in some way, I don't fully understand it, when we will receive our new bodies, when we will receive our, our new hearts, our new minds, our resurrected bodies, and live in this other form of existence in the new heavens and the new earth. And we're waiting. We're in the already, the present suffering. We're hurting, we're painful, we're groaning many times. And it's not just because of our pain, it's also because we see what God has prepared for us.
Look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what you already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Patiently. That's a tough one, isn't it? We hope, and again, hope is not, oh, I wish and maybe this might, I'm hopeful, I'm wishful. No, hope in God's context is an absolute certainty that God's gonna do what he said he's gonna do in the future. And our hope is tethered to what God's done in the past, he's already done, and what he's doing in our life right now by his spirit. The spirit is a first fruits. Like when you're planning and you have the first fruits, which is a harbinger or a forerunner that you're gonna have a harvest. God's spirit inside of our life, the power, the forgiveness, the love that he gives us is a first fruit, a down payment of what he'll do in the new heavens and the new earth when we receive our brand new, if you would, resurrected bodies. The problem is it occurs so many times is that when we're living in this already part, the in-between, where we're living in the present sufferings, we allow fear to either weight us down or to use another analogy, to spread like fire. You know, fire's interesting. Fire starts many times in, in, with just a little spark, a match. Someone carelessly throws down a cigarette. It starts a little bit of fire, and then the fire spreads, 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 spreads. And it can destroy a home. It can destroy a building. It can destroy a, a, a countryside, a forest. I mean, fire is incredibly destructive, but it starts really small and grows. Fear's the same way. A fear of rejection, a fear of not being loved, a fear of whatever. And that fear, when we don't deal with it, can spread and spread until that fear is controlling so many areas of our life because we didn't deal with it when it was simply a small spark or a little fire. That's where Ambrose Godfrey comes in. You know Ambrose Godfrey, don't you? He, he's a household name, right? A British guy, he lived in the 1700s. Ambrose invented something called the fire extinguisher. Yeah, the fire extinguisher. It's now code in every building, most homes. Everybody has to have a fire extinguisher, thanks to old Ambrose. And, and you know, when you see, you know, Houston Fire Department, tackle a big fire in an apartment or a house or a building. They don't all have these fire extinguishers. It's just not gonna, it's not gonna do it, right? No, a fire extinguisher is for a small fire to control it, to put it out, to contain it so it doesn't spread. So what we need in the meantime, in the in-between time, as we're in this time of present suffering, what we need is a fear extinguisher. We need a fear extinguisher. 
Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. It's a parallel passage. He talks about this fear extinguisher. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. Stay in the fight. Stay on the path. Don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, lightweight, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, and since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. That's what is unseen made what is seen. The unseen controls what is seen. The unseen can empower what is seen. The unseen loves what is seen. The unseen redeems what is seen. The unseen is more real than what is seen because the unseen is the creator, the designer, the sustainer, the architect of what is seen. So we fix our eyes on what is unseen. We fix our eyes on the source of life. We fix our eyes on the fear extinguisher, which is the gospel and God in Christ Jesus. He is our fear extinguisher. Because we need to take the fears in our life and take his word, Take prayer, take worship and community, the church, the body of Christ, and help us to extinguish these fears in our life so that we can more effectively follow him that is unseen. And how do we do that? We do that day by day by day. Today is Sunday. We get up Sunday morning. We lay out our life, our problems, our schedule, our plans, our pains, and we lay them at his feet. We name our fears and we say, God, by your spirit, by Christ, by the gospel, extinguish these fears in my life. I turn them over to you. I yield them to you. I surrender them to you. That's Sunday. And then Monday we do the same thing. And then Tuesday, we do the same thing. And then Wednesday, we do the same thing. We do this day by day by day by day by day. And as we do that, 
by his spirit, by his grace, when we're laying down our lives and our brokenness and our weakness, he is making us strong. He's making us strong. And he will begin to extinguish the fears in our life. as we wait, <laughs> patiently, eagerly, on tiptoes to God's ultimate crescendo as we're liberated from these bodies, as, as this world will be liberated from its pain and suffering and decay.